Welcome to ASP Stuff Radio, the internet radio show where we talk about a bunch of stuff like Woody Allen's neurotic tics, Noam Chomsky's vocal fry, the origins of the shadow government, aka the deep state, and the history of those tasty sugary toaster pastries we all love, Pop-Tarts. Today is Inauguration Day, Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, a new year with new hopes and fears. I'm your host, Alborado. Joining me are two election fraud experts, Steve Ocrates and Paul Lato. Welcome, guys, to the year yeah. 2021. Ooh, yeah. Happy It's been a while. Yeah. We haven't spoke with one another two episodes ago or so. Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving, I think. Woo! Long time. A lot's happened. <laughs> a lot has definitely happened in those two a months. Couple rescheduling. We would have had some earlier, but you know, we had a delay. Who who scheduled it for inauguration day? I just totally random. I did not. I didn't even know. <laughs> no, the deep state. The deep state, deep state had a hand. The secret state within the state. I should congratulate Bosif Jiden for becoming our 46th president of the divided states of America, who was likely algorithmically selected by machines. Bosef. What about the hand counts, the, the, the manual recounts that were done? Yeah, one uh, by one. I don't know. They, they, they use matchsticks, actually, to count each of the millions and millions of votes. Yeah, that's sometimes they take off their shoes to help uh, use their toes. <laughs> they count so with their that's toes. I have extra fingers and, there's, and toes there's, to count them all. There's no automation. We should just go that. back to the old days with uh, number two pencils and Scantron sheets. Yeah, yeah the good old 80s technology. Feed it through a, a machine. The machines are taking over. So do you guys want to talk about your event, your frustrations or grievances or praises and celebratory remarks? Uh, sure. Or should we do a, co- a poll and, and ask, <laughs> okay. what, do you think the election was rigged? So who's going first? How about we go ASP order? <laughs> yeah. Alvarado. Yes, the election was rigged. Steve Ocrates. Oh. Uh, Steve Ocrates says, I don't know. I'm not sure. People tell me it was, and other people say it wasn't. And when I do a Google search or a duck, duck, goose search, <laughs> it's split 50 50 down the middle. I mean, it's, it's just, you hear all things. So it's really hard to tell what's real and what's not. So all you can do is base your decision on the facts that are actually out there and to me, it's highly unlikely that there's any fraud in this election and probably less so in this election than in any previous election. There we go. So we have every full spectrum. Of the spectrum. We got the we full spectrum. So we have yes, I don't know, and no. In between, and then the person who's not skeptical. There we go. And the only way to find out if we did have a fair and clean election is to investigate. Right, investigate away. Because nearly 39% of the country thinks it was rigged, so why not just put us at ease and find out the truth? Otherwise, we'll keep arguing. It's open. All means, all avenues, go for it. Let's do it. That's what I say is if anyone has any questions, expose away. So That's why I find it very curious that nobody is willing to take it to the courts or review evidence so without risking going into this deep rabbit hole (laughs) 
Uh, all I would say is what I'm hearing from my respective brethren is that you both sound like you've done some research. I'm not going to say you put you put out put you both out on a limb that you've done extensive research, but I think you guys would both have really good points. And I did watch. That's what it sounds like. I did watch the uh, entire six plus hour hearing of the AZ Senate on election integrity and the evidence was pretty overwhelming and shocking to hear what they provide uh, a wide range of evidence testimony affidavits about poll so was there any like paper or like actual documentation yeah there was documentation and the cyber security expert even claimed right there and then we can easily find out the truth within an hour if those machines were in fact connected to the internet they saw Dominion voting machine experts there handling machines. Some witnesses saw USB sticks. You know, why do they? What are they doing there? Why are they installing it in computers and laptops? They did trace routes and found out that the machines were connected to different parts of the country. Why? Why are these? Why is this information going outside the United States? So, but they could have easily figured it out or make a determination by doing an audit and examining the machines and put the argument to but rest. that's why they do the, the manual recounts. That's why they have the paper trail, is to count the ballots by hand. It's not just based on voting electronic voting machines. But so There's the, an actual so, paper trail to back it up. But because so that's the, what they need to do is they need if they need to if there's any question you can just count well, the ballots. But so the fa- was was and, and I don't I wanna be I'll be a mediator here because I'm in the middle. So I don't don't need a mediator. I'm just telling you, that's what it's all. You have a manual recount. If you need to do that, that's what that avenue is for. But so that's that's why I'm asking, was a manual recount done? I know it was done in a few counties in different in those swing states. I don't think Um, it was done. I don't have that all memorized off the top of my head, but I know that that was done. And like Georgia did theirs and they only found... I think a, a handful of votes that changed. But I think the 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 problem is that if you see so philosophically the means to an end. So you have the out the byproduct. You have the logs, the physical logs, and they did the count. So you have the results saying one thing. We did the hand count, but how do you justify the means by which that was achieved? Was it fraudulently? Like, of course you're going to say, oh well, it came out this way. But how do you explain what appeared to be? fraudulent behavior right the only way you're going to be able to find out is to actually investigate the means by which the actual hand count was produced i mean because they could in theory tell you well we did the hand count and nothing came out mysteriously everything came out legitimately well the only way you can justify that is if you investigate the means by which the election was handled well, that's what that's what an audit is. Yes, yeah, so right. I that's would the assume, audit. So that's why you need yeah. to justify. Like, okay, we did the hand count, but are you counting fraudulent, illegal votes, which is what we're questioning, and therefore it would make the hand count redundant or irrelevant because you need to actually investigate to find out whether or not. So my assumption is, and sorry for interrupting, is that they that's part of looking yes. at this process. And if there's nothing to hide, then just give which, us. It's just it is interesting that. The only areas in question are the ones that, you know, the president lost. And it's not really about areas where maybe a conservative senator or representative won. Those aren't in question. It's only at the presidential level and only in certain areas where for one of the first times in history, it hasn't gone exactly in the way of the non-minorities. 
that's what is interesting is that that's all being questioned at this time. Why we're thinking it's fraudulent now when it was not fraudulent four years ago. So okay. it's kind of, the way I liken it is to like the World Series, right? Astros won 2017. You know, they put in some questionable practices. They we, we know they cheated, right? In that case. I'm not saying in this election that there's clear evidence that they cheat. We don't even have that much evidence here. The Astros we know clearly cheated. Dodgers oh. lost. They lost. So what you gotta do is if you really can't you know, you can't overturn that result of lo- losing the World Series. So just come back next time and actually win it. Come outright and actually win it, fair and square. Well, the problem um, is we can't... Again, I'm not saying there is fraud here, because I don't think there's enough evidence, enough documentation that's been presented so far. If you have it, bring it out. Stop saying, you know, I have this big smoking gun and, and there's nothing there. Actually bring it out. Bring it to light. In the meantime, rather than trying to shoot the umpires or the commissioner, actually try to win next time. Do better. Try uh, to win. Uh, there's holes in the analogy because the problem is if we don't investigate those machines to find out for sure whether or not they were connected to the internet because it's illegal to be connected it. to the I'm internet. I'm saying go for it. Therefore, that argument I'm that let's wait for next away. four find years is the ne- if we can't say we, let's wait until next year, we'll do it better. Just like we did with Russiagate. Like, go all out, investigate away, uncover everything. And what was the result of that? What was the result of that? here. Make Biden's administration all about election fraud. Bring up all the evidence. Do what you can. And what was the result of Russiagate? I'm saying go for it. I know, but what was the result? Well, he would have... What there was the result? What was the result trial, of right? Russiagate? It was confirmed it. last night. Have have it be election fraud gate for Biden. Do you know what was it's the like, result? Play that game. What was Go the result it. of a Trump Russia collusion? Last night they declassified it and made it available to the public. What ended up happening? Well, I think there's still a lot more to be decided. Now that Trump's not in office, they can actually press charges or actually go for like obstruction of justice so we'll see what comes out of that i mean it but was all farce I, it was all made up that what i'm saying is if there's any questions to me you should investigate and do what i you know can and what my point is four years from now they're gonna release declassify these documents of the election alleged uh, election fraud and then it's gonna show i wouldn't be surprised oh yeah there was election fraud but the next president is already in <laughs> and everyone would have forgotten yeah, but I mean, that's that's a problem. And like with the lawsuit brought to the Supreme Court, you know, there's definitely things there. Um, there's rules that probably should have been established more clearly. I don't think the states were prepared for the vast mail-in ballots that came in. I think they made some decisions on things and they weren't ready for that. So going forward, what they need to do is establish clear-cut rules. This is what is the way mail-in balloting is going to work. These are the cutoff dates. This is how it's going to work. You can't overturn this election because that's how it worked. But going forward, yeah, you need to look at, okay, well, what do we need to do to shore up those rules? Make sure it's clear because mail-in balloting is here to stay. It's not going away. That's going to continue. You're going to have large numbers of those come in. They definitely... So I think that stuff needs to be cleaned up for sure. Yeah, they definitely cheated in terms of uh, stipulating rules without going through state legislators before during and after they well, i don't know if it's cheating but i think they had to they took advantage decisions. of that they took advantage to they knew that they're going to have a massive dump of mail and votes. They had to make decisions to accommodate the ability of people to cast their vote 
And that's what they did. But in an otherwise non-pandemic world, that would have been illegal. There's well, just no debate. I don't know about illegal. I think that that's a question. Changing, that's why they that's why they wanted to go to the to court to to see if it was illegal. And they didn't they want to look at that. There wasn't any legal ramification there, but it's more about okay, establish the rules now. Like the strike zone in baseball. If you have issues with it, what can we do to But they already had the rules. Consistent. That's the thing. They already so had the rules in place. Next time you do have a competition, you're ready to win that time. But they already had the rules in place. They changed the well, rules. Well, they had to change them to accommodate this unique, unprecedented situation so that people could vote and get their, cast their vote and get it So counted. what was the unprecedented situation? I would say it's a pandemic, right? The right. coronavirus, the CCP virus that's mysteriously that, appeared on yeah, the first so you, but yeah but you have to comment i mean there's no way around that i don't know it's like me being a teacher and saying well you know you guys are sick and i'm gonna make changes to the due dates for every person to accommodate for your health ailments and how about i i know i told you it was gonna be due on this date but i'll change it for this date extend it and then students can i don't take advantage I, of I that you don't want aren't. to take sides but my opinion is uh that officially there there just were a lot of infection rates of corona and that wasn't going to fly you had to somehow accommodate the the vast volume of mail in ballots so That's we, a, you couldn't you couldn't have kept it uh the standard way that we've been doing business there's just no way That's yeah, a, i mean everybody's yeah. doing that stuff all business that you know everyone's having to make flexible things and that this was no different i don't know i'm pretty strict i think I mean, what the that main goal of it was to try to make it easier for people to get their cast their vote and, and I'm, so if I'm that gonna... helped increase turnout then that's that's what happened and if that meant one side was going to be favored over the other then that's what happened and the other side's just going to have to work harder next time so that they come out on time and i'm pretty rigid and gonna abide by the laws and the rules despite a pandemic we all know when the date is to vote you need to be able to submit your ballot by that date i mean it's never nothing has ever been different we've had votes during world war one world war (laughs) two for because people are getting bombed they didn't change election rules california has done (laughs) mail-in ballots for a long time but these other states, this was like the first time that they did it. And I think there's a lot of kinks. That they I know, but we out. all know the date of when to submit your ballot. That has never changed. But for mail-in, when do you, how long do you extend, you know, accept ones that are coming in through the mail? It's like what we do deal with at work. You, you have to, there's certain t- cutoff dates for when things have to be received in order for you to get a certain effective date. Do you make exceptions or under unprecedented situations like this so right things I, like that right like but all then, businesses are dealing with and but the thing was they did it here. literally days before the election at least they could have done this months in advance and they knew that we had we were in a uh, yeah, ongoing so, pandemic so that goes to a lot of other issues about <laughs> if you knew it was coming why didn't the government's prepare there's a lot of leadership issues that are in question there right exactly Alvarado, i think you make a good point but you have to who's this they uh is it Arizona is uh, government. Is it which state government? So you have to delve into each one of these states. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, state run. It, each one is different. Oh well, we didn't have the issue in California. I, I didn't hear any issues come up there. Rumor has it that Trump would have easily flipped California. <laughs> All right. Nice. I like it. debating. 
right yeah. off the top. It flows, and I don't have to edit much, I don't think. All right. So, he's up first. So we're going to share our stuff. Share your stuff. Each one of us has an opportunity, five to ten minutes or more, to share some interesting fact. Okay, so I'm up. Steve Ocrates gets to go up first. Um, I, I don't have any facts. Uh, maybe I didn't get the memo. Or I, stuff I just or some interesting was... thing or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> And, and unfortunately, it's it's another meaty, thick uh, political oh, uh, issue shit. as well. So, so yes, it's it's dreaded, and it's just it's what's on your mind, and it's related to the pandemic. And so, we have a new rollout of vaccines options: Moderna, Fi- Pfizer. Uh, I have a colleague uh, that sent me some video about some renowned PhD doctor uh, in virology that uh, suspects and you know in her mind that this new vaccine uh, if injected is gonna infest you with nanobots and uh, you're gonna be tracked uh, through your bloodstream uh, by the government uh, and it'll have kind of by, by the time if you do get the vaccine you're gonna be you know, uh, followed for the rest of your life uh, by the government, surveilled. I think I know, heard per about se. that, but I wasn't sure about how the exact mechanics work. What? So you have nanobots flowing freely through your g- blood and genes via yes. the vaccine? Well, I don't know about genes, but I guess through your blood. Okay. What do, are we even have, do we have technology that uh, up to that speed where we can have these little, uh, I don't know if they're chips or nanobots. I just kind of thought it was interesting and what? that we should be. Look, uh, what is it? What kind or what's the robot thing? I have, a, def- so it's I have a definition real quick. Nanobot, a hypothetical, very small, self-propelled machine, especially one that has some degree of autonomy and can reproduce. Wow, it can even reproduce. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> Okay. Like cloning or <laughs> maybe they could clone. Well, just like a, a cell in your body can uh, split, you know, maybe nanobots can split. But it's for the, the corona vaccine, coronavirus vaccine. So she's claiming don't get this uh, vaccine. You know, it, it will infest you with nanobot tracking nanobots hmm. that will be able to do to, uh, you know, once pulsed or uh, censored. Uh, you can get all kinds of biological information and then, you know, where you're at at any given time, what you're doing. Maybe it'll listen in on what you're doing. Who knows? So this is her warning. And uh, and on top of that, we don't know what the long-term effects of having nanobots stream through your uh, blood for the rest of your life. So so definitely do not get it. Did she, did um, she actually do ev- uh, some an experiment where she extracted blood from a patient that took the vaccine and then no 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 not no it, mention of you, that can you see she it through has, the eye your naked eye or through a microscope i'm assuming i mean how do you hey confirm? you know let, let's let's do that we have people that have gotten the receive the vaccine at this point maybe we could look in, the, in a microscope to is see it, if we capture these nanobots is it like a metal bot or what is it made out of I, I don't she didn't go into details about what a nanobot looks like and um, if I recall maybe it was just a chip maybe just chips that flew through your uh, flew through your blood nanorobotics is an emerging technology field creating machines or robots whose components are at or near the scale of a nanometer Specific- which I 
think cells are kind of measured in nanometers, human cells, I believe. Published January 6th, 2010, nanobots in your food, good or bad. I'm trying to understand what to think about food nanotechnology and whether it is good, bad, or indifferent. Nanotechnology refers to the use of very small particles for doing any number of things to food. I've been collecting items about it. So apparently nanotechnology has been around. According yeah, so to the Atlantic, there's been enough uh, technology uh, development so that uh, for years now, this uh, vaccine and its nanobot capability is uh, is already ready uh, to be out there and, and injected into your body. So maybe these nano computer bots can control my thoughts and my feelings and make me react a certain way. It's well, I don't know how advanced the coronavirus vaccine nanobots are. But, no, but if it's in our know, food, that means that I'm ingesting nanobots. Yeah, maybe we've already eaten these nanobots <laughs> and in our <laughs> So the COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine interacts with my food nanobot leftovers and then it eventually uh, evolves maybe and they're modifies. Maybe they're talking to each other, the food nanobots, uh, vaccine nanobots. Man, I don't want to be around in this century anymore. I know. So I, I just thought it was, that's why I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know this, this crazy eyed, wild eyed scientist. Maybe she's got something to it. I, maybe she has colleagues that have verified this and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm with you guys. Let's try to research and figure out what's actually going on. Okay. Um, Who is she with or from? Uh, what, Bill Gates. What did I, uh, <laughs> oh, no. So real... She warned against Bill Gates. Uh, she did. Talk, I think she did mention Bill Gates. And uh, doesn't he do some? Well, he's obsessed with vaccines for some reason. Yes, exactly. He's obsessed with. Vaccines. I don't know why. So some lady from the Global Health Sovereignty Group. Um, this lady, Joanne Griffiths, she interviews uh, this doctor, Christiane Northrup. And Christiane Northrup is convinced. Yes, we will have nanobots, and uh, by the time we are all going to be needing and, and screaming for this vaccine there's going to be a network of uh, billions of nanobots ready to take over our bodies and then they turn on the switch in a satellite and then it controls our minds and our brains and we become subject zombies to, yeah zombies <laughs> Is that what they're saying will is that, happen? So that, yeah. Is that what? So are they worried that nanobots they they use man, nanotechnology to track us? Is that the idea? Is that what her yeah, claim yes, is? Okay, of course. Every every part of our we all human rights and privacy. I just go to Sprouts. I go to a bookstore. Why do they want to track yeah. me? What's the big deal? What's so important? Uh, see, that's a good point. I go um, to watch a game. If you baseball if game. You got, yeah, if you got nothing to hide, if you live sort of a mundane, humdrum, boring <laughs> life, you know, no, they get you. They'll kind of steer away from surveilling you. But if you're somebody with government secrets, they will definitely want to know what's going on. December sixth, two thousand twelve, from Food and Discovery. We are all eating nanotechnology. <laughs> Apparently, there's <laughs> nanobots in our food. <laughs> So Where was all, I? All kinds of nanobots going around. Jeez. So it's what? too late for us. Forget what? the vaccine. Yeah, we already ate this. <laughs> it's already in our Wheaties. Can you poop it out? Is it po- Can you like well, excrete it's in your bloodstream? Your... No, but no? if it's in your food, oh. maybe oh, no. you from absorb your food, it goes in your. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do absorb food. So well, I'm it's definitely not getting a f- donate blood. <laughs> we need a doctor to. Tell us how nanobots would work. 
Huh. That's something. Well, that... how they would affect our bodies, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, well, bio engineer or something to tell us how to make one. Right, and what's the health effects or the side effects of having machines in your blood? I I, I think the lady was saying we don't know yet. Oh, so we don't know. You know, okay. don't rush out the gate to get the vaccine. Interesting. Uh, and she was also making warnings of the flu vaccine, which actually will enhance any COVID symptoms. So careful of that as Wait, well flu vaccine would enhance yes and if you were to contract covid uh the vac getting the vaccine will enhance your symptoms make it actually worse so on your respiratory system oh. getting the flu vaccine enhances the covid symptoms yes correct yeah so she's making a link between flu vaccine and contracting covid like that's if you get the covid vaccine too or just no no it's a that's a separate thing that she talked about. So just about. to clarify, also, if you end up getting the flu vaccine and you happen to contract corona, the no, novel coronavirus, whatever symptoms you have, it will become much more worse or intense because of the flu vaccine. See, that's what she was saying. So I'll but sneeze. I've heard other doctors say the opposite, that with the flu vaccine, right. it'll lessen the severity of the COVID. So Dr. Oh. A is telling us one thing yes. and Dr. B is telling us the opposite. Yes. So which one do we believe? Correct. I don't know. I, I, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm lost. There's study. I guess we need studies on this. To yes, we do. But what if <laughs> one studies is in political party group A and the other studies uh, is yes. conducted by political yes. party group uh, B. Who do I believe? Influences. You have financial influences. <laughs> Shouldn't influences. be that way though because this is <laughs> medical stuff. It has nothing to do. You think coronavirus cares if you're voting Biden or Trump? Well, if the coronavirus vaccine has nanobots, yes, it will care. What One thing I noticed while, while watching the inauguration uh, on NBC, um, what's that guy? Chuck Todd or Todd Chuck? When uh, Chuck Todd. when <laughs> Chuck Todd <laughs> is a Chuck Todd or Todd names. Chuck, he has two ordinary names like Paul yeah. Stephen or Steve. So <laughs> when Biden walked into the Capitol, he said, "Science just no, it was Al Gore. It was Al Gore. Ah, Al Gore, go. good buddy. We he know said well. he said uh, science just walked into the White House. There we go. <laughs> science. What does Joe science Biden have itself? I don't know. I didn't know Joe Biden was a scientist. <laughs> I know." But Paulato's correct. And by why, the way, I invented the internet. Paulato's yeah. correct. Why we need to have an independent organization separate science and medicine, especially in light of pandemic. Get that separate from politics. Why do I, why do we have to politicize this? The biggest virus? obstacle of getting well, over this thing. And, and so the reason why I bring this kind of thing up is is we have to decide as a family whether we're going to want to get the vaccine or not soon. Or not? Well, or, according or what? according to kind of scared me. According to a doctor that we all know, a pathologist <laughs> whose last uh -huh. name begins with an F and it rhymes with Felice, said that he's so never heard <laughs> he's never heard of a vaccine that was developed in under a year that was effective and safe. It's mind boggling. Yeah, this is unprecedented. Another unprecedented thing is developing a vaccine this quickly, and it's yeah. never been. A, I don't think it's ever been mm. attempted before, let alone actually executed and well so either, out, yeah disseminated. so either so, so that quick is crazy i think uh, there's other vaccines uh, plenty of vaccines that have been developed but maybe not as quickly maybe they were developing this vaccine 10 years ago mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Dark Winter. <laughs> All right, Palladio, you are up. Swing. That about a swing. <laughs> Share your stuff. So I'm, I'm going a little bit outside the pol- political realm. Please. Uh, <sighs> Finally. I already had to politics. deal with uh, Inauguration Day all day. <laughs> I wanted to pay, because tri- I like to pay tribute to things. I wanted to pay tribute to Alex Trebek. Now, he recently passed away. I think it was beginning of November um, after a long battle with, I can't remember which type of cancer. But I think it was pancreatic. He, yeah, pancreatic. Yeah, I think so. And he outlasted the odds there, but he continued hosting the show and he hosted Jeopardy for 37 years and was really a, a staple, I think, in a lot of households for a you know, game show that people would go to and, and tune in for entertainment and education, something, a type of show that really there's nothing else like it out there that, that's that been on for so long. And, and Alex Trebek kind of embodied that type of perspective. Like he, he was someone who I think a lot of people could look at as, you know, not just some, you know, edu- like educated person, but um, also someone who they could look to as a kind of a comforting sign. Um, he was he had a good personality. Um, he connected with a lot of people. And, you know, in this time of polarization politically, uh, he was actually kind of a, a, a saving face for, for everybody where they could see that, you know, here's this person who actually connects people across generations um, across political spectrums, across countries, across cultures, and just someone that people could look at and, and respect. And, and he did it because the way he hosted was in a humorous, respectful, um, and humble manner. He was just somebody that I don't know got a lot of credit until you know after he was diagnosed and people knew the end was coming. But for all that time, he, he really stood out, I think, in not just the entertainment world, but just also in general and in, in public as, as a figure that people could look up to and and really, you know, see that this is this is a way that you want to be in your life if you can uh, to aspire as a, someone who did a lot of good in, in the community and, and also just for people in general to be there night in, night out um, to watch. and. I was thinking back, you know, I, talking to other people who who watch Jeopardy too. You know, they one thing like I've heard is like they could connect with their grandparents over Jeopardy. They would watch it with with them because it crossed the time span. Things change, but you still have trivia and you want to compete and and have that game um, to play with different people, and and that connected a lot of people. Um, and also, I was thinking back when we were growing up, I know one of our uh, routines, Steve Ockertes and, ha- and I had, was I think after school, you know, we'd do our homework, right? That's what you're supposed to do. And then once we were done with our homework, we'd go play a video game maybe for an hour and usually probably be like Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Major League Baseball on Super Nintendo. And then as soon as it was think seven o'clock i can't remember when it came on back then but we would rush downstairs and 
we watched Jeopardy. Like we really wanted to watch Jeopardy, and we did that quite a bit back then. We'd almost be able to answer uh, three or four questions correctly uh, each episode. <laughs> oh, we were pretty good because that I think was in high school time, and you know when you're in school, you get a lot of that knowledge, especially like the history. So we, I think oh, we I was could... much smarter back then. I was way smarter back then. <laughs> But no, I, I remember just watching or hearing it, and I just tried to answer the questions, but I, I it just made me, the show made me feel stupid. <laughs> so anyway. It, uh, it can, yeah, it'll humble you, right? <laughs> kind of like baseball, there's a lot of failure involved. I, I have a hard time getting things right now. I think I definitely did better back then when we were in high school and yeah. college. Um, and then with MBOT over the years, one of the first things that we did um, when we were working nights is we would you know, wake up and be early afternoon or noontime getting ready to get to go to work. And we'd watch, I think that, that was the time when Ken Jennings was making his run of like 70 plus wins. And so we were watching that every single day. And that would be like our, our kind of morning getting ready routine was watching um, Jeopardy and, and, and seeing how Ken Jennings did, who's actually now the first guest host that they have since Alex isn't there anymore. But one thing I, I did want to mention is he gave us ni- nice message around Thanksgiving about, you know, being there for others. Uh, Alex Trebek did about being there for others during this pandemic, doing what you can and being thankful for, for everything that you have. And then his Christmas Day show was the last one that was supposed to have aired on Christmas Day, um, but they pushed it out after he passed away and t- so more people could watch it. Here's what he said on that before that episode started. He said, you'll recall that about a month ago, I asked all of you to take a moment to give thanks for all of the blessings that you enjoy in your lives. Now today, a different kind of message. This is the season of giving. I know you want to be generous with your family, your friends, your loved ones, but today I'd like you to go one step further. I'd like you to open up your hands and open up your heart to those who are still suffering because of COVID-19. People who are suffering through no fault of their own. We're trying to build a gentler, kinder society. And if we all pitch in just a little bit, we're gonna get there. So I thought that was was his last episode that he taped and he said that before. like, you know, you don't even see politicians able to articulate that type of message or, or public figures and just to have someone like that, a host of a game show, you know, be that type of figure. I thought that was really impressive and as a legacy that is going to be hard for anyone else to live up to and definitely someone for us to remember and acknowledge. Then <laughs> there's this clip that I wanted uh, to play because Historically, Jeopardy has been known, which is probably why uh, Steve Ocrates and I are, you know, we would tune in. We really loved when the sports categories came on. So there's this historical thing where people on Jeopardy just tend not to know anything about sports. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah when a sports category comes on, they just. We could get them. We could get them. Yeah. And some of the best contestants ever on Jeopardy, like, Ken Jennings could get him. The latest guy, I don't know if you saw him, James Holzheimer. I can't remember his his name, but he was he was like a Las Vegas guy who who gambles and bet on sports a lot. He could get all the sports categories. Like if you could do that, you 
put yourself over the over the top because the other Jeopardy contestants, they know literature, they know science, they know history, the, the, the nerdy stuff. The yeah, tea with they, the pinky they, finger. Right, <laughs> they can't get sports. Sports is for jocks, jockeys. <laughs> so this yeah. clip is just a epitome of that aspect, but also shows Alex Trebek's his, his humor. It also is a little bit odd now hearing what he says at the very end uh, in retrospect, but if you want to play it. Uh, Football 200. Your choice. Do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. It's an option play. Ryan? Uh, football, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Uh, do you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan? Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. Fair catch. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. And they are called offsetting penalties. Let's look at the uh, $1,000 clue just for the fun of it. (laughs) Jimmy? As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line. They took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. If you guys ring in and get this one, I will die. (laughs) Who are the purple people eaters? We're going to take a break. I have to talk to them. Wait, when he said I will die, was this before he was diagnosed? Uh, This was like four or five years ago. Okay, he looked... This was well before that. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. That was a really funny moment because... Just shows how bad contestants are at sports. Typically, I mean, some will get them. Well, they'll get them. Also, not like that, where they'll yeah. sweep the whole category with nothing. No. Yeah. But then also, Alex's sense of humor to be able to play with the contestants and realize when they're struggling and not just make it like some serious thing where oh, can't get it, oh, move on. I've always wondered. Uh, how Alex would do uh, as a contestant. I'm, I'm always, I've always, gosh, I want to see him. Uh, I know. Is he as smart as he appears to be? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure like he has to be. I don't know. We'll never I know. Tell. But <laughs> if Ken Jennings does become those, then you, you, you know that he would yeah. be able to get them. And so far, he's been a little uh, pretentious. Like, he keeps in between clues, like, adding something that he knows. And it's like, all right, we get you that you know a lot of stuff. You don't need to rub it in. So, well, Alex Trebek was not like that. He wasn't pretentious at all. No. Um, and how long was he but, doing uh, Jeopardy in the 70s? Because I know he's seven years. So that goes back to, what, or 83? But wasn't he a game show host? Before Jeopardy, like even before Jeopardy, I don't know. I thought, because I remember surfing through my channels. I don't have cable and I'll find some random old uh, game network and it would show Alex Trebek hosting some other game before Jeopardy. And he had a... Probably had a tryout for stuff. He still had his mustache. 
I can't remember. Yeah, I think he did host some some other show before that. But yeah, that definitely wasn't the first thing because he was pretty. You know, you see, he had gray hair back then when he first started. Yeah. But he had the game. Sh- he was more of that game show, like quick talking, back then because they showed some of his first episodes last summer. But yeah, he had definitely had that game show. And let's see what's behind door number three. So Trebek right. hosted a number of other game shows, including The Wizard of Odds, Double Dare, High Rollers, Battle Stars, Classic Concentration, and To Tell the Truth. So he definitely had that game show. But- Hi guys, welcome to Guess That Douchebag. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw it. And then, did were you able to find out how he was kind of outside of the game show uh, Jeopardy setting? It, does his personality was it all an act, or was he actually the person? No, he from what people have said, I mean, he that's how he was was as he was on the game shots, how he was in life, and um, he carried himself that way. Um, he was a a big Dodgers fan, so Uh-oh. that. You know, that mm. was one flaw thing that was good. I guess the Dodgers won, you know, before he passed away. So I guess you got to see that. But yeah, from what you know, you hear from people, that's how he was. Trebek said he yeah. was a political moderate and registered independent, neither conservative nor liberal, with some libertarian leanings, according to trustworthy source Wikipedia. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So right smack in the in his humble uh, right in the personality. Middle. I managed that's, to bring it. Is. I managed to bring it back to politics. I know. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can't escape it. All right. Was there any closing remarks, Pauleto? Or no, uh, that, that was, was a good it. share. Just, it was a. Uh, it's it slipped my mind, and I'm glad you brought that. Just, I'll make one comment. So I, I'm I'm glad you brought it up. I think he had generational stay power and. You know, every time somebody answers a question, you're always answering it with a question or, uh, you know, that that's how he, he kind of pervades through pop culture or society. Yeah. So he's an important figure. Yeah. Watching Jeopardy always makes me feel warm and fuzzy feelings inside. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'd say, Alvarado, you could probably answer some of the questions. I mean, there weren't like so, so tough. And if you were to watch it regularly, you'd. you'd Get answers. I don't know. I was that, born. That's why I kind of liked it because I uh, felt like I could somewhat win some categories. I was and born. It's all, the answers were always on the tip of my tongue. I could never quite be that fast. Uh, I just really suck at Jeopardy. <laughs> you got Russian <laughs> literature and philosophy. Maybe. Nowadays, you now, might be good. back then, yeah. I was just as smart as Steve Ocrates. <laughs> My turn. Lawrence Krauss interviews Woody Allen. Krauss is an American theoretical physicist and cosmologist who used to teach and hold special events at Arizona State University, but was fired or retired in 2018, canceled in 2018 due to sexual allegations during the peak of the Me Too movement. But Krauss did strike back and now has a podcast called Origins which according to their website, 
quote, reflects the full range of the human experience, exploring science and culture in a way that seeks to entertain, educate, and inspire, just like we do at ASP Stuff Radio. The Origins podcast features, quote, guests from a wide range of fields, including science, the arts, and journalism. In this episode, published on December 31st, 2020, Krauss interviews my favorite American filmmaker, Woody Allen. They discuss a range of issues for over an hour, but since we're limited to 10 minutes, I will only play a four-minute clip of Krauss and Woody <laughs> debating whether being consumed with one's work is meaningful in and of itself or simply a distraction from acknowledging the harsh truths about the universe such as our inevitable mortality. They do mention Albert Camus' myth of Sisyphus, so I feel obligated to provide our audience in the dark with some historical background of Camus. Albert Camus was a 20th century French novelist who received the 1957 Nobel Prize for Literature. He's famous, so Alex Trebek, he, we could do a segment on existentialism and Albert Camus. He's famous for his 1942 novel, The Stranger. In his philosophical essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, also published in 1942, Camus discusses nihilism and the absurd, two popular themes of existentialism, a 20th century philosophical movement that focuses on the individual and various issues of human existence. Camus argues that life outside the human domain is utterly meaningless even though humans will continue to strive and search for, desire and persist on creating a meaningful existence. This is what Camus calls the absurd, the search for meaning in a meaningless universe. Camus uses the Greek mythological hero Sisyphus as the paragon of the absurd, who was condemned by the gods to roll a rock up a mountain, only to have it fall back down again and he had to eternally perform this futile task. Camus claims that we are just like Sisyphus, condemned to a forlorn and futile condition, performing repetitive mundane activities, perhaps with some major accomplishments, but ultimately amounting to nothing. Since despite our craving for meaning, human existence is nothing more than, and I'm modifying Camus' philosophy, an ephemeral fart in the wind. In the end, according to Camus, just like Sisyphus has a choice, as long as we recognize and embrace the absurd that life is a meaningless struggle, only then will we find meaning and perhaps happiness in the struggle. Now, Woody Camus Allen- Camus was a happy guy. <laughs> he was a happy guy. Woody Allen naturally disagrees with Camus' existential analysis. So let's hear- Really? Yeah, he has an interesting twist <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah, that surprises I mean, both it, of us. But I, I like the way he spins it. So here's the discussion. When I think of your response to this meaningless universe by the work you do, which you claim is to distract, but you also say it's the work and it's hard and it's a struggle. I hear all those things coming out. I couldn't help thinking, for me, the prototypical existential thing is Camus and Sisyphus. The myth of Sisyphus, of Sisyphus rolling a boulder up a hill for eternity because at the top, the gods have forced the boulder to go down. It's this meaningless existence that he's pushing. The ball almost gets up, rolls down again. And then Camus says, I think Sisyphus was smiling. 
Yeah, and, he says that because he wants to put a good spin on no, it. No, but I think that no, that's, no, that's, what that's that's his version <laughs> of Catholicism or Judaism. No, no, well, maybe or, no. I think it's know, less. It's I don't think I think it's less rosy. I think it's nonsense. less rosy. You, you, then you, I don't buy it. No, the, no, I don't think it's. I I disagree. I think what he's saying is what you said. In some sense, is that it doesn't mean rolling off this thing up this hill is meaningful. It's meaningless. But you're here. You're stuck. You've got to find meaning. And I see you beautifully finding meaning in your work and your comedy. Not saying, not thinking that it's profound, that it means anything no, for the I'm cosmos. No, finding distraction. It's a distraction because it allows you to get through <laughs> the rolling the boulder up the hill. I got to tell you, I got a joke in my new uh, okay. movie, Rifkin's Festival, which okay. I just finished shooting in Spain. It's coming out, and. Wally Shawn, who's playing the intellectual. Oh, oh, we, oh, great! He's in it again. Okay. Says I have this dream. Someone mentions Sisyphus. He says I have this dream where I'm pushing a boulder up the hill. And the boulder keeps rolling down. I'm pushing it and pushing it. He says finally I get it up there. And then what the hell do I have? A boulder on a hill. <laughs> and I think that's true. Then yeah. what do you got? Yeah, then so, what do you got? So yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. You. You know, you solve the technical problems, the physical problems, the problems of the world. You get the boulder on the hill, and the gods don't stop you. It gets up there. Then what do you got? You got an empty life with a boulder on a hill. You know, a meaningless but, but universe, it, and now it's up but there. But it's meaningless. But if you make me, but if you, if you get, if you get, if the struggle. If this rolling, the struggle is, is a distraction, and it's a that's distraction. Good. And if it, you make it, you know, if, it, if, it, if you make it meaningful, even if you realize it has no cosmic cosmic significance, if you get joy in the searching, and I do, I as a scientist, I get more joy in the searching than the answering. The struggle of, of yeah, figuring but it you out. Know, if if some guy comes in and steps on your toe hard, yeah. and you oh geez, I think you broke my toe. I got to go to the emergency room. You get the same distraction. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, yeah, but if I you're, you're not thinking about yeah. uh, uh, the universe flying apart, you're thinking about I was, if I, I gave get you my the choice toe, of having me step you on your know. toe when you woke up in the morning, or getting up and putting that pen to paper and making your next movie, you'd make the next movie because that's the struggle that you want to do. It's a, yeah, it's a struggle that I can handle. But but if I get up in the morning and uh, someone says to me, you know, you got to get down to the motor vehicle bureau and renew your license. Uh, oh God, this is the last day. That's also a struggle, and I'm caught up in that <laughs> trivia, and I'm not thinking I'm, I'm going to motor vehicle bureau, and I have to maybe take the test again, and the universe is flying apart. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking about the motor vehicle, so it distracts me. Okay, and, you know, but I, I'm a big fan of distraction because I feel the situation is irredeemably grim, bleak. Unsolvable and uh, absurd, and uh, the only thing you can do, like in Hemingway's mm. story, The Killers, and he says to the guy, well, "Geez, it's terrible! It's horrible!" And I think about it. He says, "Well, don't think about it." Some great Woody Allen pessimism for our audience <laughs> listeners. But it was an optimistic view, actually. Really? Compared to what you just described, what was the name? Camus. 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 <laughs> Because it's, you know, the the distraction is actually makes him happy. It helps. He likes that. Right. Okay, good. So the distraction is preventing us from acknowledging that outside of our lives, the universe is meaningless. Not acknowledge it because you're aware of that, but it, it's but just it 
okay. you don't have, you're not yeah. thinking about it so you're con time. so life is nothing more nothing but constant distractions and as long as you're not thinking about the harsh realities of life then you'll be happy is in another way of saying it, ignorance is bliss, right? Me and Al Barad will have text messages oh, there about this all <laughs> yeah. the time. Uh, if you don't realize that you live on a small, tiny blue dot within this our huge, massive universe, you know, and you're busy doing your daily work or errands or whatever, you're busy enough doing that. You're you're kind of content working away or thinking away. Uh, when in reality you're just living on this meaningless blue dot distant within a, a vast universe and this kind of right. reminds me I don't know if you ever felt this especially when I was a, when I was in school as a student and as an undergrad I don't know if it was because I was studying philosophy maybe that played a role in how I felt at the end of the, every semester you know how you're caught up with all the work the reading taking tests studying trying to find food to afford food uh, juggling all these different life obstacles when the semester's done and finished you accomplished everything that you had to and then it's done and then I felt this void this emptiness I felt Woody, that too Woody, Woody Allen says you're at the top you push the boulder on the very top of the hill and it's okay now what the boulder's on top well I didn't feel emptiness I guess what I felt was a sense of accomplishment I, but, I had a positive but, he, but even after that I'm saying right after you feel you, you've experience that a positive accomplishment or achievement then it's okay now what now what do i do so you're you're no longer being distracted so the the universe slaps you in the face and reminds you that your life has no meaning unless you're constantly being distracted true that's as a college student but what's what's after being a student you have to go out there and and contribute to so, society so you have to figure out okay how can i distract myself now what do i do yes and, and you have to find something that's meaningful to you, right? And I think that's Camus and Woody Allen and Krauss's point. Uh, you know, it, I guess it's meaningful to you, but it, maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not. So Krauss... Oh, well, yeah, yeah. It, it isn't. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, because you're, you're not going to, you know, what you do. I mean, I guess you can, some of your work can live on, like for Woody Allen, his movies will yeah. still be there. It's got a legacy. Until the Earth ultimately is destroyed, <laughs> which would but maybe yeah. the waves going out into the universe will reach another planet, and they'll talk the like, sound waves. They'll talk like yes. Woody Allen. What's the meaning of life? But I think I think it's more just you know you do that work, and that gives you you know when you do accomplish things. That gives you pleasure, or if you're, you know, like he said, that you got to go to the DMV, get your license renewed, and take the test. That you have something to focus on. To not so much distract. I don't think it has to be a distraction. I mean, you're always subconsciously aware of your place in the universe, but you're not always thinking of. You know, mm -hmm. it's not on top of your mind. Instead, there's other things at the top of your mind. And when you finish that or accomplish that thing, then you will think about your place in the universe for a, a few seconds or however long you want to think about it until you find the next thing that, that distracts you and, and is the next thing that you do. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just that's how it is. is you, you're going to get happiness or, or pleasure or just work itself, even if it's not fun, doing these other things. And ultimately, you're, it's not going to change anything one way or the other. 
So do you derive meaning from the struggle itself, whatever that might be? Is anything we do in life, opening a can of beans, changing a diaper, teaching philosophy, making podcasts, fighting a war to defend your country against the evils of communism, or praying to the almighty creator of the universe, is that in and of itself meaningful in light of the fact that we live in a otherwise meaningless universe? Yeah, so I kind of always put it in the context of are you affecting other people and is it making a difference to those other people it can make a couldn't might not make a difference to the whole world but it is is it making a difference in that person's world or that person's life so if you're positively impacting other people that's meaning to them to you and i always thought of trying to compare my life to the movies and our lives are nothing like the movies one of woody allen's movies i mean it's very dramatic or traumatic or a lot of things going on in any given Woody Allen movie. But when you think about our daily things that go on, you know, going to work and doing reports or whatever, it's kind of mundane. But if you add up some of the major events or what's going on, they are meaningful. And sometimes you'll have discussions with your loved ones or whatever, and you'll be mad or upset or sad and and i think of those moments or happy uh, you know there's milestones with my new son and, and watching a movie is like yeah whatever but when something in within your life happens that's drama in your actual life there's meaning in your actual life but do you think you, you can, find meaning do you think you can find more meaning is it more meaningful and joyful when you consider that your life and your struggle is ultimately meaningless within the grand scheme of things, the infinitely grand complex universe in which you are situated, knowing that everything that you do amounts to nothing. It all turns to excrement, dust to dust Uh. we become. And that now when you acknowledge that, when you accept it like Camus says, then when you put your life into context, you can actually have a life affirming struggle. It gives you more meaning and joy. Do you think that would be a requirement in order, in other words, to appreciate the sweet, you need to appreciate the sour. I think the three of us realize the vastness of the universe. I, I think understanding the universe more and more and gaining knowledge more and more, it kind of puts things in perspective and you're grateful for the things that you have because it can end in an instant or you only have those moments. Uh, so I, I feel like it makes you more appreciative of the things in your life because you only have so long you know, in, in the world and, and once that's done it is a, like a fart in the wind and, and i'll and i'll add that people like krauss as much as we hate him a, cos, a cosmologist like that they they're thinking about the vastness of the universe and the physics and all of that so one day we're going to have a encompassing all-encompassing understanding of the universe so maybe we can get to the point where we have this huge grasp of the vastness of the universe and we find that the edges of of meaning i suppose unfortunately find the infinite unfortunately we only know roughly three percent of the observable universe so we have a long 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 way to go and that pursuit will bring meaning right so that's again where there there is ways of finding meaning there with with people like that or it doesn't have to be cosmology it could be on the edges of whatever discipline philosophy or uh that it that is out there you can throw yourself into the arms of the almighty creator bleak
Bleak. Bleak. Where, where is that from? Who said Grim, that? Grim, bleak, unsolvable, and absurd. Oh, Woody Allen. Woody Allen says bleak. Bleak. he articulates the k and bleak. Bleak. <laughs> bleak. 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 Like uh, it has two syllables. Bleak. Bleak. Grim. Bleak. Unsolvable. Hey, Grim, unsolvable, and absurd. Camus, you had the opportunity to bring me. I was scared. I was scared. I was afraid. Shaking in your knickers. (laughs) And you could have had a full-on, hour-long conversation about Camus. Yeah. Oh, well. Next time. (laughs) (laughs) Next time when when the lockdowns are no longer over. Yep. All right, all that political nonsense, poppycock about election fraud. I might as well just. Time I might as well talking about the meaning of life. I'll, yeah, I could have. <laughs> I'll just sinking our teeth into the meaning of life. All right, so with that, this is ASP Stuff Radio. We are all stuffed up with bleakness. Bleakness, the absurd. <laughs> the meaning of absurdity. Interesting, diverse I know. <laughs> set of topics. That's why you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. That's the whole point of the show. Stuff. Grim, bleak, 
unsolvable and absurd 